Hello, and welcome to IPHO's LIU Brooklyn Chapter Podcast. I'm your host, Pavlos, and I'm currently a third-year student in LIU's pharmacy school. LIU's chapter will be holding a podcast each semester, bringing on guests that will hopefully provide a little extra insight and resources for pharmacy students looking to go into industry. We will be covering a wide range of topics from networking, CVs, internships, fellowships, job opportunities, and more. I really hope you find this helpful. Enjoy the episode. Okay, welcome back, everybody. I'm your host, Pavlos, and today I'm here with two special guests, Dr. George and Sasha Falbaum. They're both currently medical science liaisons. George is currently working for UCB, and Sasha is with BMS. They both have brilliant experiences as pharmacists in many sectors, including retail, institutional, academia, and industry. With that, welcome, George and Sasha. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thanks for having us. Thank you, Pavlos. We're happy to be here. Me too. I'm really excited that you guys are here uh, because it's also one of my aspirations to be an MSL in the future. Uh, just to get started, uh, maybe you guys could share a little bit about yourselves, uh, where you guys are from. Sure. Uh, so I graduated out of LIU. I initially was going through the retail route. I started off as a Walgreens kid, kind of floater, staff, pharmacy manager, did that for a little bit. And then I spent a lot of time networking in the local um, health system society chapter. So the New York City Society of Health System Pharmacists did that for a number of years. Got to meet a lot of fantastic individuals, a lot of high level hospital administrators within the pharmacy world there. Uh, landed myself a job as a pharmacy manager at Beth Israel on the Lower East Side and then an assistant director of pharmacy at the Mount Sinai Hospital. A couple of years down the line, I started working on trying to kind of grow myself more, potentially as a director of pharmacy. And then I eventually uh, started to pursue an executive MBA and one thing led to another through a lot of networking and experience, got myself a calling within the epilepsy space uh, for UCB. And I've been a medical science liaison for just over two years now. Yeah, cool. Yeah. cool. Wow, that's really awesome. Yeah, and uh, I had a little bit of a different path, um, but I did also start uh, in retail. So Throughout pharmacy school, I started off at CVS as a pharmacy intern, and then um, halfway through, well, actually, um, during my appy year, my very first appy rotation was in ambulatory care, and I absolutely fell in love with ambulatory care, and I did like a complete 180 and decided, um, you know, instead of going into retail, I decided to pursue residency because uh, at that time, that was the only way to be able to pursue ambulatory care. So um, I did my PGY-1 residency at Mount Sinai Beth Israel um, in Manhattan. And then I pursued a PGY-2 um, residency focused in geriatrics at the Bronx VA. And then um, when I was applying to ambulatory care jobs at the time uh the most common route was to go through academia um, and so while i was applying i realized that i actually really do enjoy um teaching uh actually before 
sixth grade, I wanted to be a teacher. And after sixth grade, I wanted to be a pharmacist. So when I started applying for my job out of residency, it kind of uh, perfectly married the two. So I went into uh, ambulatory care, uh, precepting pharmacy students with Fairleigh Dickinson University. And I was assistant and then became associate professor there. Um, and then after that, I landed my role as a medical science liaison with Bristol Myers Squibb. Well, wow, it's like both of you guys had different paths and ended up uh, almost in the same area. That's that's really amazing. It gives a lot of students the the positive men mental aspect of you know if they can't get in right away, they could possibly get in down the line. And mm -hmm. uh, I had a question for you, Sasha. Like with with your experience and your background, completing a PGY one and a PGY two, mm -hmm. and then becoming a clinical professor, uh, how did that like help you? If any, if in any way, as your current role with uh, BMS being an MSL. Yeah, um, thanks for that question, Pablo. So, you know, for my uh, role, what I, I focus in the cardiovascular space, um, and when I was a clinical pharmacist, I worked in a couple of different areas, um, but primarily my focus was in heart failure and cardiology. I also did you know, COPD discharge counseling. I did um, palliative care. I meddled in a couple of different areas, but primarily it was cardiovascular. And so that really, my my clinical experience really helped me, um, you know, uh, having that, that uh, experience to be able to talk to it when I was applying for the role. Um, and that really, you know, drew them to my, um, to my role there. Wow, that's that's cool because I, that's what I was told. If you would go into an MSL position, you it would help if you had some type of background in like a specific topic, and it proved for you to to be that exactly like that. And but on the other hand, George, it seems like your trajectory was different. And how did your leadership role in retail and then being assistant director at Mount Sinai, how did that like provide a framework? for your current uh, role as a medical science liaison with the UCB? Yeah, so a, a lot of the roles I had prior to MSLing um, were, were management level roles and they kind of built upon themselves over the years, you know, smaller retail operations to a bigger hospital operation to an even much larger hospital operation. And it's one of those things that I didn't operate as, you know, quote unquote, clinical pharmacist per se in, in some of the cases. Other times, obviously, yes, uh, but a lot of time was spent with uh, managing and the administrative operations of a hospital pharmacy. And even though on paper, it might not sound translatable to certain things that you do as an MSL, the leadership experience you build along the way your ability to manage difficult conversations, your ability to work with a wide range of individuals is all very important experience that I utilize day in and day out working as an MSL as well. Because a lot of those things, while they don't seem to translate appropriately on paper, in action, it makes a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And just to build off of what George was saying too, you know, when, um, you know, when, when applying to the MSL role for, based on, you know, what I've been seeing and hearing is um, they look for either 
prior MSL experience, right? Or they look for clinical experience or some sort of experience in that uh, space that you're applying or the disease state that you're applying to. And so um, for me, it was really helpful that I had that prior experience to be able to speak to it when I was applying for the position. And, you know, even now in my current role, you know, when I do meet with doctors, I'm able to understand, um, you know, what they're going through, what they're saying, because I had that experience working, you know, directly with patient care and things like that as well. Right. And I see you guys are really good with your soft skills too. And I think that definitely plays a role as well. Um, so that kind of like transitions me to my next question, which is, can you guys tell us a little bit about um, what you're currently working on? Maybe a little bit about what your job entails and maybe you can share how you prepare or who you interact with on a daily basis. And uh, what does it mean to be successful or to be successful as an MSL at the end of the day? Those are really great questions. Thanks, Pavlos. Um, so I'll go first, um, be just because George has more to say uh, than I do. So I'll just talk about the basic things since I just recently transitioned into this role. Um, so for me, um, you know, the main role, so it's a medical science liaison. So if you break the terminology down, right, liaison, it's it's kind of like a middle person between the company and um, the uh, physicians or thought leaders or key opinion leaders, whatever acronym you want to use, TLs, KOLs or whatnot. So you're kind of a middle person between the company and um you know, the end user of whatever product it is that you support or products that you support. And you're there to, you know, do several things. You know, ultimately it's to have um, scientific exchange with these uh, thought leaders. Um, and then, you know, and, and so that's what you're bringing to them, right? You're bringing information from the company, um, any new trials that came out, any new data, anything that's of interest, any clinical trials that you're trying to enroll them into potentially or uh, have a hand in. And then what you bring from the thought leaders to the company is any medical insights that they provide. And that's based on, you know, basically their opinion or their experience, um, working with patients and and what they're seeing as the end user, if you will. Um, we also, as medical science liaisons, have the opportunity to attend what they call congresses, which are just conferences. So for example, since I'm in the cardiovascular space, I'd be going to things like uh, the American Heart Association or ACC that just passed. So things like that as well. Um, so those are like the main things. And of course, at the end of the day, um, we are, you know, pharmacists or PhDs, um, and so we'll answer any drug information questions that maybe come up when, as we're discussing um, information, medical information with these thought leaders. So it could be on-label or off-label questions that come up. I see. So you're kind of giving information and you're also receiving. It's not just a one-way street when you're talking with these uh, Keopinlin leaders. Yep. Yeah, that's a great way to put it. Yep. So again, we're that liaison, right? We're kind of that middle person between this two-way street that's going on. And yeah. George, feel free to add. So, so that's 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 the the what I can speak to because again, I'm new in my role, so I'm not really taking on any major uh, higher responsibilities yet, since I'm still kind of getting to know my territory and my thought leaders and things like that. But I'm going to turn it over to George to talk about 
his roles. Yeah, I mean, I can obviously echo the things, everything that Sasha said, which is all absolutely correct. Um, a lot of the time that uh, an individual might miss out on is some differentiation between uh, what an MSL does and what a commercial or a sales representative does. So a lot of the times when you think of individuals like us, you know, like you, you, you hear about in the military, like tip of the spear, where that last line from when medical uh, provides information directly to the providers. Um, but you also have to keep in mind, you can't just go into a doctor's office and say, hey, I have information. Would you like to hear it? Because mm -hmm. everyone's busy, you know, especially kind of on the East Coast. We're all busy with our own lives. And these doctors have a million patients that they got to be taken care of. The last thing that they want to do is give a half hour of their time to talk to a stranger that isn't paying them for anything. So mm -hmm. you brought up soft skills before at some point, and soft skills are paramount in a position like this, right. where you have to be able to utilize a high level of emotional intelligence when you're conversing with the secretary to even schedule a meeting with the doctor when you're having conversations with them what's interesting to them what's not interesting to them and you have to be able to flip on a dime because it's 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 a it's a common saying within the msl world it's easy to get the first meeting it's a lot harder to get the second meeting right so you don't want to also come to a doctor and you know what we call data dump oh, yeah. take <laughs> all the information that you have and just throw it at them. A, it's overwhelming. And B, you have nothing to follow up with the next time you have to meet with them. So you have to be able to play this kind of long game with establishing a relationship with your providers so that they like you, they realize that you have information that is essential and necessary for their practice. And on top of that, be able to relay that information after everything is said and done back to your company because your value at the end of the day as an msl to your organization is the meaningful medical discussions that you have that's the most important thing that we do in this role is having these meaningful medical discussions and how we can use the insights that we gain from these conversations to drive the medical strategy for the company mm -hmm. for sure yeah, a lot of things that George said are definitely like very important to keep in mind. And just one more thing to add, you know, like to uh, what he said about having that emotional intelligence is knowing, you know, how to read your thought leaders and knowing what kind of information they're looking for. Are they, you know, um, you know, different personalities, right? So are they like a driver? Are they more analytical? Do they just, do they want the details? Do they just want like the high level overview and things like that? So, so, or are they more like, um, I think the, the, one of the other personality test categories was like amiable or amicable or something like that. And they're just more friendly and they just want to get to know you and talk about things other than, you know, data and science and, you know, just kind of get to know you and, and, and you, them and stuff like that. So, right. so definitely but, to keep in mind who you're dealing with as well. Mm -hmm. Right. The four different personality traits. Yes. Yep. So right. that kind of, that kind of, I was going to ask a question regarding uh, if you don't meet eye to eye with a specific uh, key opinion leader and uh, you guys like really tackled it and that was great. And you have to know who you're uh, about to speak with and know how, the, what the personality is and what to present, and that, that's really great.
as um, you know, as we progress through pharmacy school, it's always being stressed to be a team work, a uh, team player. And it's really critical to be uh, in the healthcare profession, especially as a pharmacist to have that trait. So being an MSL, do you have a strong team around you or, or do you also have a strong team outside your company or is it just a team within your company? Hmm. Well, um, for me, I would say when I transitioned into, into this role, I had a mentor. Um, my uh, Currently, how, how cardiovascular is set up is it has regions. So I'm in the Northeast region, and I have uh, six other peers with me. So, you know, on that note, I would say we're pretty close-knit. And, um, you know, I, I got to meet everyone. I set up virtual meetings when I first started to get to know people in my area. I got to know everyone across the U.S., all the MSLs in my um, in, in the cardiovascular space. And so that really helps because you kind of get to know them and what their uh, strengths are so that, you know, who you can turn to for help. You know, we have, for example, a person who's really great at technology. So I know he's my go-to for that. Or I have um, two MSLs that are really nearby. So like quarterly, we'll get together um, and, you know, just kind of catch up on, you know, strategy and like nearby uh, thought leaders because some of our doctors may um, overlap depending on, you know, them, these doctors covering like multiple hospitals and things like that. So I would say that there's definitely a lot of collaboration and not just among the MSLs, but really working closely with your um, commercial team. We call it a matrix team. Um, so, so knowing who to call and, you know, if not, always, you know, your mentor or manager is there and you could always ask them who, who's the best person to reach out to for certain scenarios. And I have a kind of a, a different view on, on this question. I mean, I, I I can, once again, echo a lot of the stuff that Sasha said, um, but I've also been more recently exposed to something that I've always heard about within the the realm of, of the pharma world that I haven't experienced before. Um, and that's my company bought out another company uh, early last year. Mm. So there was definitely uh, some merging, some transition, and now we're at the point that there's been a lot of movements within the company as well, uh, either up or laterally or out to other part, other, you know, pharma companies and things of that sort. And it's something that is fairly common within the pharma world and within the MSL world, too, mm -hmm. uh, that there's a lot of transitionary movements. A lot of the times people either kind of move up or move out um, to pursue kind of, you know, their end, end goals and careers, things of that nature. So it's definitely on my side of things, a lot more common to be currently seeing just because of the transitionary phase that my companies went through over the past year. Um, but outside of that, there's definitely a lot of collabor collaboration that works between, you know, us being considered, you know, field-based ba field employees because we have mm -hmm. territories that we take care of and kind of like the internal engine, the internal medical team mm -hmm. and the conversations that we have between internal and the field uh, team is always definitely like an interesting dynamic for sure and they always say pharmacy is a small world right so you know uh to george's point uh we I, we've both seen people leave the company and then come back mm. in different facets um so you never know 
you know, because they say pharmacy is a small world, you never know who you're going to bump into or come, you know, work alongside or, you know, or whatnot along the way. So yeah, I had a pharmacist right now that um, was with UCB back during the Kepra days, back when they were um, working with Kepra, then she left for a number of years, then started work, started working at another company over the past couple of years. We bought that company out. So she started working for UCB once again. Yeah. Wow. So just, yeah. So, it, you know, she comes back into the frame. And she's like, oh, I haven't seen this person in 15 <laughs> years. Yeah. It's definitely interesting. And the same thing happened in my company, too. There was an MSL who uh, used to work uh, at BMS, then left for another company. I'm not sure how many companies that person worked for. Um, and now they just got recently hired back on um, in our in our therapeutic area. And, you know, you hear that all the time. Yeah, it's definitely a small world in pharmacy. And um, I had a question regarding interview process. There's a lot of interviews that are coming up right now in the summer and fall. Mm -hmm. So I would like to ask you both a little bit about your interview experience. Mm -hmm. When you were going through this process, how did you showcase your value, like in the correct light? How did you uh, promote yourselves in a way uh, to project your assets, uh, regardless of not having industry experience before entering as MSLs? So I'll start off talking about this one because I had previous experience trying to break into uh, pharma. So back when I was a six-year student at LIU, <laughs> I did the the Rutgers uh, fellowship track interviews at uh, at mid-year, uh, thinking that I would be something within the pharma world. Mind you, all I had was retail pharmacy experience working at private pharmacy and then Walgreens as an intern. Mm -hmm. So I interviewed for maybe three or four of the fellowship tracks within the Rutgers fellowship. And I bombed every single interview, every single one of them. I didn't make it past the first round for like all three or four companies. I was like, well, I guess farm is not for me. And I, <laughs> it didn't cross my mind for probably a decade, yeah. 10 years later. Right. Um, so I immediately was like, Oh, I, and Looking back at it now, it was really because I didn't know what I was doing. Mm -hmm. I I, um, I didn't have the experience that I've built up over the past decade to be able to succeed in an interview. And the things that are really most important with the interview process, in my opinion, is being able to sell yourself, but as you mentioned, sell yourself in the correct light, because mm -hmm. you obviously don't want to come off as cocky <laughs> in any way, because that rubs everybody the wrong way, no matter who they are. But an interview is literally that to sell yourself as being the best candidate for the job. Mm -hmm. So you okay. have to utilize every experience that you've had that you can translate into answering the question that you have at hand. So for example, I had, you know, practically zero clinical experience working within the realm of epilepsy. However, I was able to utilize my experiences in uh, managing a neurocritical care ICU to at least be able to speak to certain topics that are relevant within the epilepsy space. So while you can't answer a specific question about certain kinds of clinical experiences, I'm able to translate the experiences that I've previously had to be able to uh, show and shine that I do have the, you know, 
required education and experience to be able to do the job at hand. Next to me, that worries me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just jotting a couple of things down that I don't want to forget to mention. So, um, I get this question a lot um, in my previous role um, in academia. I actually used to do like an interview workshop with students, and we'd practice in person. We'd practice then virtually because nowadays a lot of these interviews are done virtually, and. You know, I definitely have some tips, um, you know, just general tips and tips specific to for the MSL role. And I think number one is knowing yourself, mm. know yourself, know what you've put on your CV or resume, um, because they'll ask you, they do look at it, you know, um, so you really, you know, really want to know yourself and what what you've written on your cv but not just when i when i say know yourself really reflect really you know be self-aware of yourself what are your strengths what are your weaknesses and you know the questions are always the same questions in in some way shape or form right what are your strengths what are your weaknesses right. tell me about a time when you did this tell me about a time when you succeeded in that tell me about a difficult time and how you came you know, on top of it, you know, so, so the questions are always the same. So be prepared for those questions. And my biggest uh, number two tip is practice, 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 practice out loud, practice to somebody else. Um, Google is your friend in this situation. Uh, Google, you know, sample questions, uh, you know, the, and and practice those questions out loud or to somebody, anybody who will hear and really practice how you would say respond to each of those types of scenarios. Have like a solid, you know, scenario that you can speak to. Uh, try try to avoid making things up because <laughs> um, then it gets harder to remember um, those things. But really, you know, speak to your experiences. Um, and then one of the things that I think we both were able to leverage um, is our networking experience. So George talked about how he networked a lot um, between his retail role and uh, that's really what helped him get into his manager experience at the hospital. And I think for me, it started um, even with, in pharmacy school, I took on more leadership opportunities um, really to just kind of grow myself and get comfortable talking to people. Um, I was, I, I was shy and I, I was I used to have terrible stage fright. I hated presenting in front of people, believe it or not. Um, and so I would uh, take on leadership roles, like becoming president of, you know, different organizations. Um, you know, I started with uh, becoming president of Phi Delta Chi and then becoming president of other organizations and of the class. And it really helped me with my, uh, with my, uh, uh, you know, stage fright and, and just in terms of like my uh, presentation skills and things like that. Um, and then when you are applying to a company, definitely research that company, right? Um, don't go in blindly, not having any clue, you know, what products they have, um, you know, what the company's about, their values, um, you know, that, that really makes you stand, um, so it really it sets you apart from other candidates, I think, when you've done a thorough job researching it, because it shows that you're genuinely interested in the company that you're applying for. Yeah, those are really awesome points, because 
I know uh, from uh, I've heard in the past that uh, students, they would go for interviews for either fellowship or jobs and they would have things on their CV, for example, that they couldn't speak to and they had just put on there just to you know make their CV look nicer. And, you know, they lost. They didn't get the opportunity to join the, the company because of that. Or they didn't have experience, like you said, they didn't network while they were in school. They didn't like pursue some type of leadership opportunity to get them more comfortable. And you guys like took away, took two of my questions <laughs> away from me. You guys really did an amazing job. We are so thankful to have both you, uh, George and Sasha here with us today as being our guests for LIU's IPHO podcast. It was an absolute pleasure. I wish both of you the best continuation in your careers. Thank you. Thanks yeah. so much. Of course. And for the listeners, thank you so much for being with us to, for being with us today. And we'll talk to you next time. Bye-bye. Thank you. Take Bye. Care.